Well, we're going to, um, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at Acts chapter 1. This is uh, the ascension of Jesus just before Pentecost next week. Acts chapter 1. I've got a couple, I've got about three passages of Scripture. I will be moving you around the Bible just to be aware. Father God, we thank you that you have not just promised the Holy Spirit, be delivered on that promise, and we have the Spirit of God with us. And we thank you, Lord, that he leads us and guides us into all things. And we just pray that you would show us and reveal to us all that you want through this passage of Scripture and through the words of Jesus. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. I want you to note that it's a command. Okay. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. We're not good at waiting, are we? Let's be honest. We don't do waiting. Waiting, actually, is a hugely frustrating... You know, somebody once described wait in the modern mindset as the most offensive four-letter word to the modern mind. There's something about it that just seems a complete waste of time. In Samuel Beckett's 1950s play, Waiting for Godot, two bleak fellows wait for someone called Godot to come. They've no idea why they should wait for Godot. They're not sure if waiting at the right place or at the right day. They don't even know if they would recognize Godot if he comes. And of course, in the play, Godot doesn't come anyway. And it speaks about the emptiness of waiting, the futileness of waiting. And if you've been caught in a traffic jam or waiting to get onto a plane, or there's been engineering delays at the airport, and it's four o'clock in the morning, and you can't sleep on those tiny little seats, You'll know about the futility of waiting. Or if you've been in a hospital and it's been sort of four and a half hours and you still haven't been seen, you know about that too. We hate it, don't we? But in fact, waiting is not perceived as futile and empty and pointless in the things of God. Actually, it's the opposite. In the purposes of God, waiting is the prelude to change and to growth. It's to his breaking into our lives. And very often, he'll ask us to wait before he moves, before we break in. And when we come to our times of prayer, we want them immediate, don't we? We want immediate answers because we're used to things in the immediate. But in fact, God asks us often, very often, to wait before we see the answer. And it may even come in a way that we're not expecting. Verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I've just got a few points I want to, to raise here, a few thoughts. First of all, within scripture, waiting is intercession. It's actually a, a type of intercession. It's a way of appealing to heaven. You can do that through prayer, you can do it through fasting, and you can do it by waiting on the Lord. And you can say to the Lord, I'm waiting before you, even in silence, and I can do that. 
And it's a, a vital work. It has in itself a merit before the throne of God. And something in it humbles us and reminds us that God is not our cosmic errand boy. He is God. And we, we come before him in humility, in trust, and in release to him. Waiting on the Lord engages us with God. It's like fasting. It is itself an intercession. In his book, Approaching God, the author Steve Brown tells a story of an elderly Scotsman he knew who lived on a remote farm in the highlands of Scotland who was dying. He wasn't afraid of dying, but he was having trouble praying. So his daughter invited a local pastor to come over and see him. And she told the pastor that he was, he, sorry, he told the pastor that he was struggling to pray because it just didn't seem real to him anymore. So the pastor suggested, why don't you put a chair next to your bed and wait? Wait until you get a sense that the Lord is sitting in that chair. Wait until you feel his presence and then talk to him in the same way that you're talking to me now. The daughter was at the house nursing her father, and every time she came upstairs to see him, she would ask, has he come yet? Not yet, he would say, but when he comes, I'll reach out and take him by the hand. A few days later, the pastor received a phone call from his daughter in which she said, I want you to know that my father died this afternoon. I went to check on him, and he was gone. He looked just the same as when I left him, except one slight odd thing. His hand was resting on the chair beside the bed. Waiting is not wasted time. It's learning how to wait on God, humbling ourselves before him. It is in itself an appeal to heaven and an act of intercession. I want to take you to a passage that reinforces that. Isaiah 64 in fact, if you want to know about waiting on God, Isaiah is the prophet about waiting. Isaiah 64 and verse 1. Give us a shout when you get there, because um, so you've got the Bible, the Bible page. 752. And Isaiah 64, page 752 of your church Bibles. Isaiah says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. And since ancient times, no one has heard no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who do what? Who wait for him. Who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. It's an intercession. God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. He was on the earth for 33 years. I don't think if it was our plan, we would ever have a system where somebody had to wait 30 years and then only be active for three years. For every hour that Jesus spent in ministry, 10 times that was spent waiting. Because in the providence of God, there's a time. And Israel needed to get ready. And Jesus needed to grow to maturity in the flesh. 
And so there is a time, and we need to learn how to wait in the time. So waiting is intercession. It's actually part of the work that we do before the throne. And in it, God recognizes that. And something is released, because I think we start to move more in obedience and in the counsel of God when we are learning how to wait patiently before him, recognizing that he is God. And that's what we do. We wait for him. Waiting is also strengthening, and it's also renewal. So if you've got your Bibles with you, Isaiah 40. Flick back to Isaiah 40 and verse 28. You'll know this passage well. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not come become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will do what? They will gain new strength. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Those who wait for the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. Those who wait for the Lord will run and not get tired. Those who wait for the Lord will walk and not become weary. You see, waiting on God renews us. There's a renewal that comes in by his spirit as we obediently, humbly wait before him, waiting at his feet. In it, by his spirit, he strengthens us in a way we can't easily explain. I don't know if you remember... um, a minister called Francis McNutt. Francis McNutt. Now, Francis McNutt was uh, very well known in the early days of the charismatic movement in the UK and in America, the 1960s, 1970s. He wrote a couple of books that were very well read um, called Healing and the Power to Heal. I don't know if you ever read those, but they're littered with all kinds of wonderful examples of healings. And what was interesting about Francis McNutt was that he was a Roman Catholic priest, Father Francis McNutt. And, um, and this was part of the charismatic movement that took place within the Catholic Church. Well, he talks actually in one of, his, one of his books, Overcome by the Spirit, he talks about a healing. And he prayed for a fellow priest called Benedict Harron. Father Francis McNutt prayed very briefly in tongues um, for Father Harron, who knew nothing of the Holy Spirit. Father Harron knew nothing about being filled with the Spirit. And when he was prayed for, he said he felt a sudden, wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit, and he just collapsed on the floor. He said, I tried to move, but I couldn't. I had this overwhelming sense the Holy Spirit needed me to wait until all of his renewing work was done in me. I was lying on the floor waiting for two hours. Afterwards, he said that during that time, the Holy Spirit took, to, took me to every painful episode in my life, especially the one that had left me with deep emotional scars. And he was showing me how he worked through all of them. And as he did, it felt like he was healing every single wound in my life. He said the weariness, the heaviness, the tiredness just slipped off him. 
He said, as he learned to wait on the Lord, there was a deep healing and renewal of the Holy Spirit, and he regarded it as a major spiritual blessing of his entire life. Waiting allows the Spirit of God to move, gives room for the Spirit in our lives, and it enables us to become like clay in his hand, by agreeing with him, agreeing that it's not yet, that it's not the right time yet, but it's still in his hand, that we trust him. It gives space to the Spirit, and it's almost as if we are the piece of clay that, this, that God just places on the potter's table. In our waiting, he's able to mold us and move us and change us. Waiting is also guidance. I think it's quite interesting that Jesus waited until he was relatively quite old. I mean, in the ancient world, um, 30 was a decent age. Um, if, most people didn't really live beyond 40. There's a lovely little phrase in the book of Acts where it says, and it was an even greater miracle because the man was over the age of 40. <laughs> I vaguely remember 40. And uh, yes, so, but th that was kind of the, the world that they lived in. So 30 was um, quite a mature age. Most of his life... He'd spent waiting. And it takes nearly a month, more than a month actually, six weeks, in solitary des desert retreat before he goes into public. So he, Jesus lives with the not yet. Most of his ministry, in fact, if you, can see, if you look at the Gospels, he lives with not yet a lot. Not yet, when he comes out of the, uh, out of the waters of baptism, the heavens are rendered open and God speaks, this is my beloved son. It's not yet. You've got to go into the wilderness first. Not yet before he goes to Jerusalem and advances to Jerusalem. He says to, in fact, at one point he says to his brothers, the time has not yet come. Not yet, he says to Mary Magdalene before she touches him, I had not returned to my father. He lives with the not yet, patiently, humbly before God. Because he knows you can't move in the full accordance with the Spirit until you've mastered that discipline of waiting. Very often we can rend the initiative away from the Holy Spirit. Very often we need to learn how to wait on the Holy Spirit. Even when God's given us something, we need to wait on it, pray into it, live in it. Sometimes we might need to see how God wants to give more revelation or he wants to change something or he wants to reinforce that. R.T. Kendall, you know R.T. Kendall? Westminster Chapel, he said that when he was growing up in the US, um, one of his friends in Kentucky, he grew up in Kentucky, United States, and he said his friend was out plowing corn in a field. And as he was plowing corn, he looked up and he saw that the clouds in the sky had formed the words PC. And so he thought, PC, preach Christ. God's calling me to preach Christ. And so he gave up farming um, and he left everything to become an itinerant preacher to preach Christ. And they asked R.T. Kendall, and they said, was he a particularly gifted preacher or an, a very anointed preacher? And R.T. Kendall said, um, mm, we are wondering whether actually what God was saying was plow corn. Just please plow corn. So sometimes... There is a real need for us to wait upon the Lord. 
And the interesting thing is that when God speaks into our hearts, we get excited because we're humans. And we get, oh, yes. But actually, we need to learn how to wait before him. Because there's a time in all that he has and all that he purposes that he has. And in that, we learn how to seek his counsel by waiting for him and just humbly accepting that it may come in the most unexpected way. Somebody might say something, they might not even be Christians. And, oh, you know, the other day, this week, I was in prayer. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I've already told you. And I thought, when was that then? And then the Lord showed me, and I remembered a conversation I had, must have been about eight years ago with somebody. And the words that they used, and I suddenly realized, yes, you have. And it comes by waiting on him. It comes by seeking his counsel. Doing that, not in a rash way, but seeking his counsel because we do it, because he is God. Psalm 106 is the last uh, passage of scripture I'm going to take you to. Psalm 106. If you can't find the Psalms easily, just close the Bible and then open it right in the middle. And then boom, you're in the middle of Psalms. There we go. 106. Yeah. 609 is the page. We have sinned like our fathers. We've committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. And thus he rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. He led them through the deeps, through the wilderness. And so he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them, redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. Note that, they believed his words because his word in us is what allows us to have his mind. And they sang his praises, but they quickly forgot his works. And I want you to note this, verse 13. They did not wait for his counsel. They did not wait for his counsel. I think sometimes a lot of mistakes are made because we don't wait for his counsel, because there's an impatience. And although there are times, strangely, when we should act quickly and the Holy Spirit gives us that urgency, many times we're called upon to patiently wait before him. Waiting in the Spirit was about being in the right place at the right time. The Holy Spirit was not going to come to an empty room. They waited 40 days. Jesus waited 40 days. Israel waited 40 years. We've got to learn how to wait. And we forget that waiting is part of the answer. You see, when you go to a restaurant and you order food, you don't get up two minutes after you've ordered it and say, well, it's not come yet, I'm going to go. Terrible service here. In fact, if, any, if it did come within two minutes, <laughs> it may not be worth eating. <laughs> but you wait. Sometimes the longer you wait, the better it is. But you wait. Because you know that it's coming. Waiting is part of the process. And as such, waiting is part of receiving 
is part of learning his will and learning his heart and learning how to receive. It's part of being renewed and being strengthened in the Lord. And it's part of the appeal that we make to heaven through our prayer and through our fasting also. Let's just wait on him for a moment, shall we? And pray. Father, thank you. Waiting humbles us, Lord. And it does something that the other things don't do. And that is that it aligns us to your heart. Really aligns us. When we're interceding, very often we're telling you what's on our heart, but when we're waiting, we're being aligned to you. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Praise his name.